Welcome back. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back to Primordial Dao Present Dao, episode 10, Negong, an intentional unraveling or a wholehearted reunion. Hey Mike, can we, that was a lot of information on those last two. Can we do a quick recap before we move on to the next one? Yeah, so the first one is, I guess I would say like, let's just have an honest conversation with reality. So we need to learn the language of reality. And in the Taoist context, that's yin yang, that's uh, wuxing, that's uh, engaging with your meridian system uh, as a system. It's recognizing that as a modern conditioned person, your relationship or first kind of interaction with things like Dantian is maybe going to be um, just a bit disoriented. So uh, we get to move through that stuff very intelligently, very step by step, uh, very practically, very pragmatically, uh, recognizing that that disorientation, deconditioning part of uh, Nekong and meditation is implicit throughout all of human history since we needed meditation. Like perhaps at some point we were pre disorientated in such a way that we were all living in kind of like a pure meditative state as animistic consciousness, but not recently, maybe not 50,000 years. So, uh, we just want to recognize that there's some undoing to do and we need uh, a language and some tangible practices. So given that we're developing those things in the second grotto, we take that farther. We go deeper into what breath work is for. Uh, we use that aspect of breath work and the context of Ting Jin, the skill of listening and being very tangibly interactive with the this thing we call yin yang, this you know quality of attention, so that what we're actually you know trying to uh, well trying is probably the wrong word, but what we're actually engaging in is this slightly esoteric but very tangible connection with our inner landscape. And there's a lot of different traditional approaches to that, depending on the, the tradition you're studying in. You know, yoga has its, Qigong has, you know, maybe what we would think of, um, you know, in that Neijing Two diagram and stuff, you know, as, as a, a procedural approach, you know, and then that's important to, to be aware of that we are moving through this, this landscape. But we also want to be aware, and, and this begins in that second grotto, is who is the one meditating? You know, we have these three selves, and um, depending on what your day is like, what your week is like, how you, you know, slept, what side of the bed you get up on, or whatever, what you experience as Dantian, or what you experience, or who is the one experiencing Dantian, is a bit malleable. And you, you can't oppress that, or domesticate that, or force that without actually burying the work you need to do. So we're trying to unearth things. And I mean, that's a fun term to say, unearthing, because in, in Chinese medicine, we talk about the earth, the soil, the somatic self, the mind that is uh, imbued in the body, you know, the mind is the body before the uh, mind is the mind, or but the body is the mind before the mind is the mind. So when we start really wanting to unearth the conditioned self, we need that landscape, we need those practices, we need to be centered. We need to be really good at waiting. And we can't be in a hurry to get to a finish line because the one in a hurry is still in high school. Right, and we need to accept that the one 
trying to organize the outcome of a puberty is going to defeat the cause of a or the purpose of a puberty in the same way if when a person wants to go through an alchemic process of deconstruction but you're constructing an outcome for yourself based on something you've read or hope or dream or want you have now made it impossible for that deconstruction to happen because you're the one building the castle in the sky so there's no way to go anywhere but just further into madness well or you know religion or see i'm right <laughs> of course you're right because you're still you <laughs> so in your experiences of going through these passes coming out of the other end of some of these passes did that dramatically change um either like the direction your life was going or 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 something along the lines of like like what changed for you well this is like one of the weirdest things to say out loud and and, and i I'm always reticent to say it out loud in company that I don't know and doing this to the world in a podcast feels all kinds of <laughs> what could go wrong. On, on a certain level, and, and I hope everyone hearing this has a smile on their face at <laughs> what we're getting into, but um, what you call Mike, what I might refer to as Mike, is an avatar that is necessary to consensually collaborate on the level of identity structure with primates that have identity structures so we're all playing out that dance and I'm aware that as the configuration we're going to call Mike right now or Michael or Dr. Michael Smith or blah 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 is sort of a hijinks little prank that we're all playing on each other and bring it on go team but at a certain point you know and I think I used this metaphor in, in another podcast about uh, the mind is, you know, we're all pretty busy with our spray paint trying to make ourselves a self and each other more palatable or more useful or more enjoyable or perhaps sexier or something. So there's all this adding in the egoic identity sense of self. And at a certain point, you kind of get the joke that that doesn't even exist i mean the part of us that's got to die first is the part of us that's separate or identifiably unique or distinct as, as something you know and and clearly if we're going to get into what's universally going on through all things beyond the thingness of things we're going to have to accept that the abstract self is 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 goofy and funny and well the, here here's a kind of a quippy way to do it uh imagine you get pulled over by the police and they ask for your identity right so you have id entity so here's my id here's my driver's license here's my birth certificate here's my you know and this is a funny thing to say but my I don't know, colonizer slave name or whatever, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just to take it to the the degree you can take it in a counter, you know, social way or whatever. That's your ID. But the rest of that word is entity. No matter what you call yourself, you're, you're, you're just a locus of consciousness poking into the event space of consciousness. And that's where the fun begins is when you let go of the commingling co-making of the self and you start getting into the commingling and co-making of creationing and you know you can say that out loud like a hallmark card and it sounds pretty esoterically cool 
but there's a certain hell in finally giving up on the project you were given as a young man or woman or somewhere in between to try and get that right. And at some point, getting it right is the hell. At first, getting it wrong was hell. Now getting it right is hell and moving beyond the beyond the profoundness of non-separate beingness, whatever that just meant, <laughs> becomes the, the very slippery waterfall of the numinous practice of beyond the knowable. And to be beyond the knowable universe, maybe you might want to accept that there is no self that is going to be able to get that. So you're going to have to give up on selfing to get creationing. I've never probably said that out loud in that way, especially on a podcast. So I'm waiting for the comments to see where that goes. But um, yeah, I think that's 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 a pretty big transition. Is you know, you're going to eventually just give up on Ravi as the project and. You don't do that until that's implicitly necessary, but just throwing that until out there. That at a certain point, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I, there's no one within any of us as one that can hold all of it. So, you know, do your best to really become the resonant, profound, holy crap that I see you as, as a human being. Like you're impeccably an amazing human being, as most human beings are when we show up to life. But at a certain point, we have to kind of hold a small funeral for that, but not before it's time to move beyond that. Yeah, uh, I'm. Ta there's a bunch of different ways I could take that, but one is like we're moving from like separation to creation. Yeah, which I mean that that's the idea of Negong. Ne the character Ne kind of implies the boundary of external and internal, and the boundary isn't necessary when it's not necessary but until then you got to you got to have that boundary the way a castle needs a wall sometime you're going to leave the castle but you know <laughs> when we, eric used to say this eric tuttle used to say this <clears throat> um especially when things started to get really interesting with practice he says remember michael you're an egg you need the egg you live inside the egg don't try and break through the shell of the egg until it's time like build the shell build the egg build the yolk do the thing it's going to take years like wait until you're ready to move beyond that and until that get really good at that and and that's an important thing about practice is we have to build a container to actually understand containment and then gradually over time we can explore beyond con containment or constraint or separation but you know you, you have to i don't know you have to go through a lot of grottos before you don't need the grottos Great segue into the third grotto. Mm -hmm. Mike, what's the <laughs> third one? <laughs> well, I often refer to the third one as sort of many minds, many selves, many mysteries, many ways of coming into being. So, you know, now that we have our little recap, you know, we're embodied, we're three selves, we're who is the one meditating. We have some landscape, we have some gong, you know, ne gong, qi gong. Uh, to, to get in, in invested in. And this is where the, the work really takes usually an unexpected turn for people. Is And again, because I come from a healing tradition, not a monastic tradition, the assumption is you might be wounded and in pain. And this, this blew me away when I first learned this. Because um, again, I'd never 
heard of a village tradition or where folk shamans go or you know you just get what the the books that you can read say in this tradition the, the three dantian the lower middle and upper which are like eggs and yolks and in, in the way we can play with them in practice tangibly each dantian has a vertical and a horizontal component so when we come into the the third grotto the assumption is is that we're very intimately familiar with our three dantian the lower middle and upper in the sense of breath work in the sense of the nature or the the breath work the egg the yolk um, the nature of each of those yolks and what um, potential force or capacity they have capacitor they have that they're going to build you know as we build our dantian um, and the thing that blew me away when i was learning this because i you know I've never, never had never learned the folk tradition until learning a folk tradition. In those, tra in that tradition, anyway, there's a vertical and horizontal nature of being, nature of Xing uh, and Ming, or nature and kind of quality of aliveness or capacity of aliveness to each Dantian, right? So the lower self has an, a vertical kind of iconic part, and then a more interactive kind of messy part, and so does the middle one and the upper one. So that creates what we call the six and eight minds, or yuan xin or yuan shen, depending on how you frame it. And those are parts of us that are innate, and that's kind of what yuan implies. So there's conditioned self, and then there's innate self. So the beauty of the six and eight minds is now we have a roadway home to a complete, coherent, uh, awake, and perhaps mature, maturing self, because we can begin to deal with the um, bringing the unconscious into consciousness, bringing the conditioned into the the kind of sandbox or the working space of practice through those six minds. Because anything that's happened to you in, in the sense of uh, a painful experience, a conditioning kind of, you know, now I'll never be that, or now I'm always going to be that. Um, those attributes of self and those instinctual needs to be in control come from those innate minds. So if you can sit in each of them and recapitulate, and this is a big part of this grotto, is spiritual recapitulation of your whole life story, is to go through those six minds as pain bodies. And this is something I, I really appreciate about uh, Eckhart Tolle as he talks about conscious mind and pain body. What's interesting to me is in this you know village tradition that goes back hundreds of years, they had six different innate minds and six different pain bodies. And you can actually go through them um, kind of sequentially, if you will, to work through and recapitulate the worst and best things that have happened to you that make you want or not want to be or experience certain things ever again, or want to experience certain things always, you know, in almost in an addictive way forever. And this is like the hinging of the separate conditioned self and the more universal I get that all selves are equally disoriented, but can heal if you're given the landscape and the anchoring, uh, the purpose, the passion, the courage, the playfulness, the slightly chaotic what-if to move through this stuff. Which brings up the kind of a qualitative part of the, the six Dantian and sort of one of the initial, uh, initial parts of the microcosmic orbit which is probably one of the most confounded and disoriented parts of Qigong practice in the West because we take it as this weird circulation of 
up and down in your meridians, which again, taken literally is probably more dangerous than, than it's good. And I'm not going to get into all of that because that would be a whole podcast and a half. But one thing that we do in this grotto with the microcosmic orbit is to walk, sit, stand, lie down, interact, make love, have conversations, go to work, you know, commute in whatever town or city you commute in and maintain two qualities of aliveness, two qualities of Xing and Ning in those parts of our being. Now, I don't mean that in the meridian sense of Dumai, Ranmai, the spine in the front of the body as lines. I mean as how we stand up as our embodied self, as, you know, you might say, to be upright with your spine as Chen. And Chen in Chinese is like Chen uh, Ren, like to be authentic, to be true. But the character, as I think I've talked about in previous podcasts in the show, uh, is a picture of the subjective self cooking its egoic compost, if you will, to compost the egoic self into the beauty of flowers. Right, so it implies the process, but the experience of actually bringing the unconscious into consciousness so that consciousness arises in its authentic way, its authentic expression. So imagine that your project is to walk around for the rest of your existence, or at least for a period of time, with your spine embodying Zhen, non-stop in your meditation, non-stop in your conversations, non-stop as you buy your food at the grocery store or your restaurant or wherever you're doing your thing and to hold that as sort of a necessary condition of actually showing up in practice because this stuff isn't about oh i did my five minute meditation in in three minutes today so i win it's i'm trying to become something and that means 24 7 so a way we engage in that is 24 7 our uprightness our zheng qi in the spine is made of this experience of chen to be authentic to cook your compost and on the front of the body, the way we interact horizontally and with our warmth, with our eyes, with our face, with our tone of voice, our facial expression, our body language, we want to embody what's called san, which is our appreciative attention, our ability to actually be discernment, to be honest, but to be kind, to be open to the, the liar standing in front of you, or the lawyer standing in front of you, or the cop standing in front of you, or... Uh, whoever it is that you're negotiating with or dealing with moment by moment in life, but to be, you know, and this might be a bit of a Buddhist reference, but to be the compassionate, empathic, wise, patient elder within you that can actually be horizontally engaged because it's a team sport. You're not, you're, 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 in, you're collaboratively interacting with everyone, even if you're against them and you hate them, which I right. can't, can't see working out well, but you know, if you want to start there, <laughs> you know, there you are Mm -hmm. but that way we can move through life in that microcosmic orbit and it's a terrible translation by the way Xiao Jiaotian does not in any way translate into microcosmic orbit I'm going to leave that alone but anyway Ah. if if you took a quick stab (laughs) at what it would maybe translate to the perimeter in which you cultivate everything that matters I don't know how that turns into microcosmic orbit yeah anyway so we have this the vertical part which we can choose in our practice as the state of Chen. I'm composting my BS moment by moment in my uprightness as, as, a, as a true human being, as Chen Ren. And I'm going to interact with the world with appreciative attention, empathy, and discernment 
because everybody's full of crap, but everybody's also the universe staring back at me. So let's start to get really honest about how to like immersively bond and connect with every living being, thing, plant, sunrise, sunset, as intuitively and emotionally and meaningfully as you can in that horizontal way, down here on the land kind of way. And I don't want, I, I may or may not write this book someday, but it's going to be called Lateral Transcendence which is the real work is here on the ground. All the sky stuff, all the spirit stuff, all the big truth stuff, yeah, that's already figured out. Like, you know, you can try and put that into words, you know, as fun as that might be. That's not, that's not the hard part. That's just a mystery doing mystery stuff. The real fun part is how to show up as a human being, you know, as human beings, for human beings, with human beings, because team sport. Yeah, one of my friends used to say that... Uh He's like, yeah, yeah, there's all that other stuff. But he's like, I'm just trying to go a day without judging another human being. Yeah. Yeah, one of, one of the actual practices in, in that uh, part of the work is non-comparison. Can you actually go a day or a minute in your own meditation or on a, a subway or driving down the road or buying a hamburger if you like hamburgers without being a jerk? <laughs> without using comparison to elevate or uh, degrade yourself. I mean, because it goes both ways. Like, comparison's a double-edged sword. You know? And some of that stuff is so unbelievably su subtle. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's such cruelty, and it's such domestication. I will whip myself into being better. Really? Who's the one whipping who? Like, And that's sort of the freedom of, like, you know, Mike, the Michael we're referring to as me, which is obviously as much me as I am, as anyone is in anything. It's also just a construct. So if I'm going to spend the time unconsciously trying to construct my construct, clearly I'm going completely batshit crazy <laughs> to get it. I'm going to get it right. Who, who's that? You don't even know what right is, but I'm going to get it right <laughs> without knowing what right. Oh my God. I guess just be. Yeah. Right. But do we have to undo the, you know, what's been done to even begin that? Yeah. It's a process. Yeah. And again, Naegong is meditation. It's just applied embodied meditation to deconstruct imprinting and conditioning from the conversation so far it seems like very smart surgical yep. oh yeah precision high-end meditation well i mean again this is kind of unique in in it's a village tradition it's not esoteric the assumption is you're not a monastic monk doing perfectly fine committing 30 years to the final realization of the big thing you're some poor person in a village who's been wounded by whatever happened because of, I don't know, bandits and imperial monastic, you know, colonization or whatever. Like the assumption in the Idahuan tradition is you need healing and this is the process to heal humans from damage. Right? It, it's, it's, I mean, there, there's an aloofness to monastic traditions that I didn't really get until I was knee deep in a, a village, like, like doctor tradition, being like, oh my God, the care and feeding of broken humans is the work. Like, who, who's actually, like, aloof and beyond it all to go sit in a cave in the mythical mountains and do the real work? Like, how was high school for that guy <laughs> or that girl, you know? Like, we're modern humans now. Like, we've been conditioned and domesticated. Like, we, we, we're not okay <laughs> to presume we can just pop on a robe and, you know, do the thing and get it all. It's like, that's that's pretty arrogant and presumptuous. And, and that's, that's uh, I mean, maybe I say arrogant in saying that, but... Uh, sound arrogant in saying that, but that was the big humility thing of studying in this tradition is, oh, right, we're not okay. 
that's pretty presumptuous to just assume we can throw on a robe and just move beyond the beyond. I want to say I'm starting to see why I met you, but like, uh, <laughs> um, I, I guess more accurately, it keeps getting reinforced why you kind of came into my life. Cause like all these things you're saying are all the things that I've, I strive to be, I strive to be of service, strive to be of healing and, and, and to share this knowledge. And yeah, that's really cool, man. That's like, I guess like a one in a million chance. Well, Who knows what the odds are, but like... Universe seems to know what she's doing. So. Yeah, yeah. Just quickly, though, before we move on, another thing about the third grotto, though, is we're resuming, removing some presumptions here. One, we're removing our presumption we're okay. We have pain bodies. Maybe we have a pain body or we have bodies. Up to you how you want to move into that and through that. But you're going to need some Ting Jin and some patience and some compassion and some empathy, but you're also going to need uh, yin yang. You're going to need that collaborative, directable, interactive awareness and the malleability to work with the contorted parts of that and perhaps the coherent parts of that and to go through a kind of like a melting candle uh, from a shape to a kind of more liquid aspect of what it is to be uh, consciousness. I know this, this comes up to something uh, I, I learned from a, a different Taoist tradition. You know, we have the five elements, you know, metal, wood, fire, water, uh, earth. Yep. And again, those are all kind of noun in English and they're things, right? So wood is the reaching aspiration of growing plant life. It reaches up to the sky to find light and it reaches down to the water to find water. It's the reaching. Right? And then we could go through the other elements, you know, in the sense of the actual experience of them. But when we go to metal, what other tradition in the world has an element of metal? No idea. None. And sorry, I'm <laughs> true, <laughs> true question. <laughs> I was like, is there one out there? <laughs> but what are the other elements and all the other traditions that have four or five elements? It's usually earth, air, fire, water. Right. So what happened to air in China? Good question. Imperial dynastic colonization. Because condensation and atmosphere and clouds and cloud watching now has become the formation of solid identity structure as metal. Mm. So a Taoist priest I got to hang out with for a while, um, amazing guy. Uh, he was a long man mostly, but he had uh, disrobed and was going to do his master's degree in psychology when I met him, but he had done the work and we had collaborated on some stuff. And I was like, wow, you really like went deep with this stuff. He says, yeah, 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 but it, it may not be what you think. Um, his, his whole thing was the aspiration of uh, the alchemy of bringing metal back to atmosphere metal back to air and air doesn't mean air air means my atmosphere like all the moving stuff between plants and animals and clouds and seasons and stuff so air again can be the object of air instead of what air does and atmospheres do because without rain and topsoil there's no people right right so the atmosphere thing is this malleable constantly changing shape of potential right water is the resource of potential and in its uh, infinite generosity like, you know, if you have water in the forest, it's a pond is full, but it's only relevant because it feeds the world. Water isn't the element, it's what water can do. 
right? And this is that shift from kind of like the colonizer mind to the indigenous mind of like, oh yeah, where did these ideas come from? Hunter-gatherers, right? Okay, maybe I need to remind myself of the context of origin, right? So when we think about that, uh, pain bodies and all of that, what we're really also talking about in a way is the alchemy of metal back to atmosphere, structure back to flow, form to formless. But if you've been formed in a certain hardened way, like tempered steel to be against the world because I'll show you, you have to undo all of that to actually just be okay, never mind be what nature's doing. <laughs> so in that context, the yin yang process is realizing that our, our, our ability to have directed interactive awareness might have a grudge. It might have a predestined, preformed need to have a predictive relationship with outcome. To like prove a point type of thing. Well, I mean, if you're bringing your awareness to the center of Dantian because that then procedurally becomes the next thing, notice you're s still trying to prove a point in a way. And I mean, that that's sort of a part of the alchemy work, but you're going to have to unravel. And that's why I think one of our fun titles was, you know, <laughs> unravel some BS here. And this is where the real work with Inyan happens. And this is in, in that third grotto. I often encourage people and sometimes guide th people through a 49 day daily initiation of Inyan somatically, uh, ideationally breath work, the whole thing. And that's actually the first thing I did when I was going through my initiation practice was 49 days. I think I spent 12 weeks instead of seven weeks because it was amazing. <laughs> uh, alone in a, you know, a hermitage in, in the forest without distraction, electricity, anything. Wow. Uh, four hours a day of uh, Gong Fu and four hours a day of Ne Gong. And that's, 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 you buy the ticket, you take the ride. That's how you buy the ticket is 49 days of hours a day of Ne Gong. Whether or not you want to do Kung Fu is up to you. I just was a Kung Fu teacher at the time, so it's like, I want to practice. But it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, seven weeks, four hours a day of, uh, yeah. That's that's how you find out what your yin-yang is made of, and it's made of what your conditioning is. And, you know, if you can go through those pain bodies and those innate minds and really get that there is a map to consciousness as well as there's a map to meridians, um, you can unravel the map. And you go to the Neijing to that the the kind of inner landscape diagram, that gives you a sense of the procedure of alchemy over maybe thirty years, you know, and and how to work the work, uh, work the water wheel and everything else. But it's uh, it's always going to be the modern human. This stuff was figured out hundreds of years ago by medieval people in China. That's not who we are now. <laughs> maybe we should you know take a. Uh, and that's why, again, from this village kind of healing psychology tradition is like, yeah, that's that that makes good sense. Let's un unravel the pain bodies and and then maybe refine the formation of Inyan, you know, in, in, into its capacity as itself instead of what we've trained it to become or contorted it into being because, you know, industrial colonization works. Damn it. Damn it. Forty-nine days, holy moly! <clears throat> yeah, Did that happen. Or, or in your case, the best time of your life. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of reasons why maybe, 
but uh, I mean, uh, I mean, what's that? Seven weeks, two months. Like, how, how fast does that go? Pretty quickly, you know. And, Especially and, when you and, get a nice flow going. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying people have to do four hours a day. That's just sort of the tradition. So, mm. I mean, that that's hard for modern people. And I read a book recently. Uh, it was a translation of something from a fairly contemporary uh, alchemic practitioner and. The first chapter was how do you set up a household that can support you for a minimum of a hundred days where the only thing you need to do is get up. And in that tradition, you do four hours a day, but you do an hour or two every six hours. Right. So that was there. They had to set up this thing that for like three or four months, you need, you needed to basically have servants and a place and warmth and food and bedding and chairs and <laughs> yoga mats or whatever to do the work you know for 24 hours a day for 100 days uh you know just as the in that tradition that's the that's the anti-up thing is now, now now you understand practice now now you can begin like the alchemy hmm. cool crawl to number four yeah so this this won't take too long because i'm sure we're getting into the ninth hour of this podcast but um, there's an aspect of Nekong, especially contemporary Nekong, that um, uh, Eric Tuttle was was very clear about, and it's about using these benches with rounded legs, uh, so that when you begin your practice and you move into stillness, um, you may need to do some movement, some realignment, and the the pel the bench has that rounded thing so you can rock your pelvis and future teachers i had after working with eric were like oh yeah here's more things you do with the pelvis more things you do with breath work perennial floor all these other really fun very somatic very uh symbolic kind of things so that you could prepare your embodied um state uh alignment coherence in such a way that you could move off of that bench and then sit in your, you know, on your cushion or, you know, however you were going to do your practice. Some people sit on a chair, some people sit on the floor. Uh, most Taoists I know have a very specific kind of cushion and angle so that your pelvis sits, you know, very precise to your spine uh, in practice. Um, but that's called an induction. So when you're going to do your practice, you might start with 20 minutes on the bench to really get your pelvis, your breath work, your diaphragm, your pineal floor, your, you know, your Dantian lined up or whatever. So that uh, when you go into the stillness practice, you, you've refined some stillness and you're, you know, anything that pulls you out of that gives you a chance to sort of swing back into that. Whereas if you're trying to hold stillness, you're not really in stillness because you can't hold still and be still. Right. right. So you have to kind of dissolve into stillness through articulation and release. Right. Right. So that that's sort of a the tricky dilemma of going deeper into practice is the the ratio of induction to stillness. So we use those benches to train the induction processes and then stillness doesn't really re require a lot of talking. It's you know, or like any effort. You, well, you're there and or you're not. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's say you start with uh, 20 minutes of induction, 40 minutes of stillness. And then maybe you're going to start expending it into two or three hours. So you might start with 45 minutes of induction, then two or three hours of stillness. But that's that's kind of black belt level. So what might make more sense is 30 minutes of induction, 30 minutes of stillness, five minutes of induction, and 30 minutes of stillness. Uh, and this gets into different kinds of breath work. 
Uh, and in Taoist alchemic practice, we talk about martial fire breath work and civil fire breath work and different ways of using state shift uh, to change the kinds of alertness and focus you can have with perception, with attention, with embodiment, with concentration. All right, because we're actually training faculties here. It's like, it's magical, but gong means gong. It doesn't mean anything else. It's your capacity to do the work. <laughs> yeah, it's like lifting consciousness <coughs> weights type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So the the uh, early Taoists, and, and across many traditions that I've uh, bumped into in, in various ways, but in this tradition specifically, the ratio of induction work, the more yang practice, to the more stillness yin practice uh, provides you that pendulum of back and forth, which you're going to have to figure out on your own. Like for the people listening who may be practitioners uh, or teachers or, or just beginners, I mean, part of the work is figuring out what works, right? So that that's that pendulum there. But that, that also brings up this thing that uh, I don't think we've talked about. The Negong practice I'm speaking to, and again, I'm using the term in a contemporary way as if it's a separate kind of practice, where it's, it's, it's a context of all practice, um, is the preparatory uh, sandbox or, or you know, uh, field of cultivation, if you will, for the actual alchemic work, because you need to begin building the alchemic elixir or the dan or the spiritual embryo or the shantai or the lingtai, depending on how you frame it, uh, which is maybe the yoke of the Dantian and its nature and its purpose and its potential. But in order to do that, the pendulum of yin and yang be eventually becomes sort of the fractal inversion of yin and yang, which I'm not going to be able to explain without a lot of other terminology. And, and that's alchemy work, not negong. Negong is we call juji. It's like the, the building the foundation of negong, uh, mm. nedan. So the pendulum of yin and yang in, in the induction process begins to familiarize ourselves with very refined states, which we find kind of reverting through each other. So immersive stillness has the spark of complete, coherent, alive consciousness, which is like the sun. But the sun only exists in the darkness of space. And I mean, I'm using the loosest metaphor I can, but the value of the induction process not only trains us on what works for us because it's gong, it's ne gong, it's work uh, and practice and coherence but yin and yang kind of start turning into each other and coming magically through each other and in, in ways that actually are what the alchemic kernel of dan the, the, the elixir really is experientially. I mean, to say it is something in the sense of an actual something is an English language problem because English believes the world is real and a lot of other languages sort of get the joke. <laughs> <laughs> right? So um, when we start playing with that, that's the beginning of learning to articulate uh, experientially and somatically and energetically the, the inversions of yin and yang as well, although that comes much later when you form a dantian or form dan or form the, the, the embryo. Whoa. This this is like a three-year thing to like really get ready for alchemy, uh, yeah. and then it's like thirty years to, to to do the work to to at least that's the way I was taught. I was taught in a village tradition, so not a monastic tradition. You're not hiding away somewhere in in some perfectly supportive environment. You still have to show up and treat your patients every day because of the the tradition well, it is right. So when you were <coughs> yeah when you were learning all this, it, it was under the context of being a Chinese medicine doctor. So yeah, it's yeah. like oh you're doing all this work, but you're also 
doing all the patient work. Yeah, yeah. And you'd go and do retreat and stuff like that. My teacher, Liang, uh, he, um, and I was so fortunate to meet him because he was 76 at the time. And he was doing his last public uh, transmission of of his family's tradition uh, through like a lot of his students as well as just himself. Because after that, he was going into his closing the door. Like he was going to, and I'm not making this up, live in his basement in Vancouver. And the only way he agreed to communicate with us was through a fax machine. Because, <laughs> well, back then. <laughs> but also, <laughs> just him being him. Which eventually stopped. But uh, he eventually said, no more faxes. I'm no more faxes. Because <laughs> he wanted to do 10 years of alchemy before his death. And he kind of timed his life based on his pulse and his diagnosis of himself, how long he expected to live so that he had shut the door and would have 10 years. He actually had 13 and a half years from the time he shut the door to the time he passed to, to do this practice. But, uh, I, I mean, I, I, nothing I can say at this point isn't just going to add more conundrums to people, but, uh, I'm very, interesting humans. I'm very confident that even having this conversation that if the universe works the way it seems to, he's delightfully in the realm in which there's still a, he, uh, laughing at the fact that this is being transmitted in this way through this medium at this time in this moment, you know, I can just sort of see him standing doing his unbelievably open pelvis kind of qigong. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually find his stuff on YouTube. I would love to see it. Yeah, yeah. I'll look up. Uh, uh, he, he uses Cantonese name, so it'd be Leon Kokyuan Qigong. Uh, and uh, it's in French, I think, because his initial uh, teachings in, in the Western world were in, in uh, Europe, in uh, northern France. But you can find uh, French uh, overdubbing him doing very basic Qigong, and you can see like where some of my stuff comes from, because he's got ropes and sticks on the ground trying to show people how to get your body aligned. But you watch him move, you can see his qua, his pelvis is so open. The first time I saw him turn his body, I almost threw up, because... I didn't think human bodies could just like turn around on the inside like that <laughs> anyway. So, uh, yeah, the, there, there's that, but he isn't, he's just going into basic Qigong for cancer patients, uh, for what's on online anyway. So I don't yeah. know. I just popped into my head that that's, I would there. love to geek out on something like that. Yeah. Just, just to see, Oh, that guy's real. And that's his thing. But anyway, um, I got distracted by the idea that someone on some level of consciousness, some little drip of him is still hanging out laughing at the fact that we're talking about the, or I'm speaking to the, the likelihood that he actually got through what, what these practices are, are meant to get you through to come home to what this all really is. Cause you know, he, he, he was like one of the most famous Chinese doctors in China he escaped China before the communist revolution and became one of the most famous Chinese doctors in Hong Kong because he was teaching at three universities and hospitals and he studied neurology to try and make sense of all this acupuncture stuff to uh, neurologists in China. Then he came to the West and was the first slash second, depending on how you think of it, uh, licensed acupuncturist in the Western world doing Chinese uh, or acupuncture for pain in an experimental hospital in Oregon and then in California. Like this, this guy was an apex Chinese doctor in that entire century. Never mind the carrier of this wacky village oral tradition of Taoist practice. So anyway, cool. that's uh, Liang Jeshuan or Liang Kokyuan, depending on how you say his name. So it's always nice to honor our teachers. It sure is. And, and man, what a, yeah. What a shining light of the, the whole thing, the, the, how to be a, like a professor 
and be a you know a, a Taoist and and be both and you know you know and, and he he really wanted to integrate the the Western science thing and that's something where we really got along is uh, some of the stuff that he he taught around like the Qing Bing and the Chinese mindset about how to solve problems I was like that doesn't work in the West you know like people don't no one's gonna buy that he says well it would work <laughs> you know, like hmm well now that you ask let's figure that out. Anyway. It's cool. Like a, the thing I really like about Taoism is a lot of it is like, you know, we got to look at what's going on in the moment and like modify. Yeah. Based. So it's like ever changing, always yep. evolving, yeah. never stagnant. That's what Zoran can mean is to be spontaneous, but it also means to be contemporary, to be, con uh, yeah, to keep things contemporary to the world you live in and the generation you're in and the, you know, the internet you're on, the podcast you're doing the tiktoks and <laughs> oh boy here we go oh my god <laughs> uh, so that's number four is the recognizing the inductions are important and this is where getting into the the actual uh anatomy uh if i could use that term uh of the meridians especially the microcosmic orbit meridians and the fact that it's about four and you can't really do the four without the eight and the eight don't really exist until the 12 are healthy and in the way you can work with them. So we, we get into kind of the, the the weeds of what the inner landscape can mean and what Dantians can mean and what that orbit is. Maybe it's, maybe it's not an orbit, it's, it's an interactive, innate, all directions at once kind of experience. I guess the sense of orbit makes sense of like, everything's on the inside of the orbit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it, a funny thing is that the, the one of the earliest versions of the microcosmic orbit was to envision a rolling galaxy. Uh, well, that'd be the modern way of seeing it, because nowadays we can see galaxies in our imagination because of telescopes. But if you ever look at the sky and you're an indigenous human or a farmer and you spend a lot of time looking at the sky, you're going to notice the North Star being the center of the sky. The Big Dipper goes around it. And actually, actually, that's actually where the swastika comes from is the people drawing a, a really rough image of the, the Big Dipper going around the four seasons. Totally see it. So if you can see as a human being as above, so below, living in the shamanic indigenous world of, well, nature seems to know what she's doing and I must be of that as well, then you see the universe is spinning around a center. So when you find Dantian, you see the universe within you spinning around the center. So one of the early microcosmic orbits was just to see the North Star as your Dantian with the universe rolling forward around it like a wheel. So you could actually experience the breath as rhythmic process through time and your cultivation as the annihilation of everything between you and the imminent cycle of time just cascading through you. And that was the original, original microcosmic orbit practice was be the sky be the cosmos be the cosmos as above so below and submit or surrender or dissolve into just the movingness of time and and don't individuate yourself because that obviously is the problem <laughs> right so yeah anyway cool kind of playing playing with the Word. order of how this stuff gets unraveled yeah yeah it's beautiful man yeah, so anyway, the the chocolate is finally kicking in because the caffeine is making my brain go, bing! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's, that's the fourth grotto is the, the induction process. And um, now you're ready to go into Nekong. So that's grotto number five. Well, now we're going to get into that one, yeah. 
So now we're actually ready. <laughs> well, well, now now you the have first four is preparing. Well, for I mean, that that's going to be a theme about life, you know. It's, I don't know. Uh, so now we have all of those things in place. We have inductions in place. We have landscape in place. We have Tingjin. We have Yinyan. We have San. We have Chen. We have all these. I don't know. I was probably rude to just blather all that off in Chinese, but all those different contexts of interaction with the existence and practice. Um, and enough time under our belt, so to speak, that it's not just novelty and, and, and new terminology. It's, it's implicitly our memory of how practice works. Yeah, in a sense, I do see how that's all like, I guess, in a sense, preparatory. <coughs> yeah. no. It's like building the universe. Yeah. So now we begin going into the Juji, the building foundation practice uh, of alchemy, which is pretty standard in, in, well, probably going to get some comments about saying that out loud. Uh, it's very consistent in some ways throughout uh, contemporary Taoist and early Taoist uh, descriptions of um, kind of what's happening and why. Um, or how I suppose. So the first thing that we run into in, in the building foundations for alchemy practice has to do with what are called, uh, well, it's classically called Sanquan or the three fold or three part, um, narrow passes. And the imagery is kind of like if you're on the top of a mountain, and you want to get to the top of another mountain, there's this narrow rope bridge that's swingy and maybe has some goblins and trolls and I mean, sorry, I'm thinking like Lord of the Rings movie or something. <laughs> uh, well, it's know, a good image. I know, see it in my head. Because <laughs> right? we got to go across this thing and it's not going to be easy and it's up to the pass. It's not up to you. You know, when you get in an elevator and you push the button, it's up to the elevator to get you there. Right. Right. So we, we can do the thing that we can do and we can bring our capacity, our training, our gumption, our, you know, massive ego or whatever it is that may or may not be helping us get through the, the rope bridges, you know, but at some point we're going to have to recognize and again, surrender, submit, kind of flow with the Tao kind of thing uh, needs to happen where the nature of the narrow pass determines the way that's going to go. And there's these three areas in the spine that are usually attributed to as the Sanquan, but it's also like many things in Taoist practice, contextual. So when we bring up the context of a narrow pass. Well, that depends on what's narrowed you, you know, what your, you know, the last 10 generations have narrowed in the way your people experience the world and fight against the world or make the world, the world, you know, you know, we're all doing the thing we're doing here. And a lot of that has a lot of momentum. So, we want to recognize that how we acknowledge these passes, these narrow parts, these challenging parts, how we move through them and how we eventually allow it to be up to the nature of the challenge instead of to the challenger. Because again, we're trying to get rid of this separate identity ego thing and right. eventually that actually is the thing. Right, it's so like, eventually we're just kind of going along for the ride. Well, eventually the ride is determined by the terrain. We've spilt, we've been building our meridian awareness, our inner, our Neijing, the, the Neijing Chu, that diagram, our inner landscape, our breath work, our Dantians, the, what are that, what does that mean, the minds, the many minds, the pain bodies, the whole thing, so that we, we have interactive capacity and, and potential and, and the yin yang, the interactive awareness to actually interact. 
but that's still a lot of doing. Eventually, we're going to have to kind of trust a little bit the, I don't know, that there's aspects of cultivation that have their own momentum. You know, if the candle is going to melt from its heroic figure into its gooey liquid thing, if the metal is going to alchemically go back to atmosphere, the rate at which that happens is not something you can force. And this is where the distinction between what's called yo wei and wu wei, you know, to try the, the, to, to do the doing part of inductions and then immerse into the undoing of stillness, that's a good context and a good pendulum, but now there's going to be actual places within you as a being, within you as a body, that need to melt in their own way. And they're going to teach you some things about being a being and being a body that you can't learn and can't really put into words in, in any other way. So I'm not going to lead people into that by symbolically trying to tell you what they're about or where they are or what to do about them, uh, especially in a very long podcast at this point. Uh, but just to bring up that the moving through those passes... And recognizing modern humans, you know, playing video games or watching TV or living on phones, we have a lot more constraint than, than perhaps medieval people in China did a thousand years ago when they were, you know, first trying to articulate what, what this process and what this practice would be like. So there's a lot of ways that uh, the, um, yeah, the traditions hold on how to do that. But there's also an aspect of this that kind of you could say is is a an overview and 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 a, a table of contents for the alchemic process. So I'm going to speak to that quickly, and because um, I, I guess I want to make a point about that. So the alchemic process, as it's described in in in, I would say the most common contemporary traditions, is. Uh, the first one is Lianjing Hua Qi. So we want to refine the Jing and transform the Qi. Right? And then we want to Lian Qi Hua Shen, refine the Qi so that we can transform spirit. And then we want to Lian Shen and Huan Dao. So then we want to refine the spirit so we can return to Dao. And then there's a couple of other versions of that about going back to emptiness, or going to emptiness before Tao, or Tao before emptiness, and whether or not it's refinement, return, gathering, and the different traditions have different terminology at that point. So, and I'm being a bit playful here, so just grab on to something. First we refine Jing, and then we transform Qi so that we can refine Qi so that we can transform Shun, so that we can refine Shun, so that we can blah blah blah, causality, 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 there's kind of a joke going on here because they're all simultaneous. If you're refining Jing Qi Shen, you're transforming Jing Qi Shen. Right? So this is the game about the narrow passes is that's the bridge between causality and practice and immersive inductiveness throughout practicing, being practiced by the practice. And I think I've said this about Qigong, keep doing the form until the form does you. Right? There's an aspect of alchemic practice, which eventually is the, I'm not the one doing this. And I'm playfully kind of caught up in the dance of a sequence of things. And there, there is a tangible unraveling in that sequence of things, which, again, 30 years. But because we're talking about this in English and in the West, I just want to throw out the 
sort of universe grease and playful hee-hee-hee of, well, and we have a right brain and the universe is already completely fine without us fixing it. So maybe it's not completely about that, right? So that's the fun of the fifth grotto is like, okay, there are these narrow passes and inner openings. There are parts of us that we're going to have to work with and work through with the left brain. But this is the time at which that has to one of my favorite ways of translating Wu Wei is the imminent attrition of being an opportunist or eventually getting beyond the anticipatory mind completely and just becoming interactive immersiveness mm. so that I mean that could take 30 years but we want to learn how that works and a part of that's the narrow passes a part of that's uh, playing with what say that rolling galaxy in, in, in around Dantian might kind of be uh, in the ways that we can actually uh, make that experiential point a part of the point of practice, right? Because, I mean, if we're doing the oneness thing, I mean, that's already been taken care of, so what's, what's left, right? Oh, yeah, the deconstruction of everything between that. So as we get beyond the beyond of the separation, it, there's a restlessness to the stillness. Like we, 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 we kind of have to let go of the yo way, the doing self, to begin the practice of like just holding the the, the portal to the mystery gate, if you will. Uh, right. And that's all. There's nothing left to do, sort of. <laughs> but or you could say that's the beginning of that. Okay, finally I get it that, you know... So is that like the whole uh, analogy of going to the top of the mountain and having the realization and then coming back transformed? Yeah, but then what? <laughs> then we go back and do normal human things. Well, yeah, if you choose to, yeah, right? You know, but it's just now who is the one meditating isn't really the interesting question anymore. You have to, you have to answer that question to stop asking that question. <laughs> my brain hurts yeah. so how do you answer that question uh well so, there's this okay, big so, on course so, coming so up in a couple so of eventually months, do so. you get to the point of like oh that's who the one meditating is <laughs> yeah i don't know how to do that in english without making a lot more trouble for people <laughs> so yeah words yeah well i mean the Tao Te Ching is pretty clear on that you know, there's the one, then the two, then the three, then the, the myriad things, and that's sort of a hint at how to go the other way. Right. And that's why I love the word creationing instead of creator, because one's a verb and one's some old guy in the sky who may or may want to punish people because he's an asshole. So. Hopefully he's not an asshole. Well, I don't know. It depends on the tradition, right? Adventure <laughs> <laughs> gods wisely, my friends. <laughs> There's oh. another good t-shirt. Invent your, invent your gods wisely, my invent friend. Invent your gods wisely. <laughs> right, Nit. Um, so, Sixth Grotto. Coming home. Yeah. Coming home to uh, immortality. So, <clears throat> before we get into that, like, first of all... <laughs> <laughs> Who is the we? <laughs> um, that's, yeah... A lot of the, <coughs> excuse me, 
uh, a lot of the tradition traditions that I've just been like diving into, like this is like, um, would this kind of get into, um, for some reason, I kind of want to tie this into like the idea of like the, uh, the idea of like rebirth and like, uh, cause like I was born in a Sikh faith and the idea of like the immortality is like you kind of break the cycle of rebirth. Well, cheers to that. Cheers to that. As we drink our tepid water and I try to sly lead another piece of really, really good chocolate. Oh, yeah. We should do the chocolate podcast like this from now on. <laughs> Noisy as it is. Hey, I'm not too far away. Yep. Uh, anyway. Um, reincarnation is such an interesting thing, especially... Uh, in this context that we're a separate identifiable self. And what I find interesting about reincarnation, uh, as I'm jiving on really good 92% caffeine chocolate, is how many people I've met in, I guess, the four decades I've been scratching away at modern adults, trying to figure out spiritual stuff in English. Um... Everyone seems to want to have been or may have been Joan of Arc, Jesus Christ, somebody who did something special. And no one seems to want to be the 14-year-old who got killed by a drunken guy driving an ox cart. <clears throat> Sounds pretty accurate. Right? So we, we have this thing, and there's something potent to that. I'm not just making fun of that. But there there's something interesting about reincarnation that has to do with causality, that has to do with... Uh, I guess, in, and I'm not a Buddhist, so I'll probably get, you know, polite emails from the very polite, compassionate Buddhists or yelled at <laughs> by the <laughs> less <laughs> skillful Buddhists about this. But, um, you know, the reincarnation thing seems to be, and there, this is affirmed in Taoism in, in, in a sort of way, that we'll just do the bodhisattva thing. And I would happily, happily sign up, sign me up to be bodhisattva if that's how it works. To keep coming back as a sentient conscious version of a self until all sentient beings can experience existence without suffering. Which is, why, why not? Like, you know, Sounds to that like thing, a good pledge. That thing. Um, but that, there's a lot of causality and, and purpose and, and perhaps a lack of respect for the necessity of pain for growth. Because if we can move beyond suffering and we're all happy utopian people, I mean, I've never seen utopia work because humans are opportunists and primates and full of instincts and we like to compete and, you know, we're all climbing the ladders of better, you know, so until we're no longer human beings, we're going to keep doing human stuff. So that version of reincarnation doesn't really seem to be about humans. It seems to be about something meta to human nature. You know, a meta in the, I guess, physics term of, of using that, like something that would surround, include, but be beyond the human. Right. In, in the Taoist sense, and some Taoists sort of hold reincarnation to be a thing, uh, and it would be more in the context of the idea of Hun. So Hun is this sort of ethereal soul, ocean resource of what it is that makes you you from your ancestors, but also makes humans humans. 
and mammals, mammals, and things that breathe, breathe, and things that don't, don't. And so there's sort of layers to the collective unconsciousness of creationing. You know, wolves have the hun of wolves, and humans have the hun of humans, but all breathing mammals have the hun of breathing mammals. So primate or dog, you know, we're doing something similar, but something different. So that context of sort of a, a sea or an ocean of oceans within oceans of possible sources of our creativity, our character, our sense of humor, our intelligence, our, you know, all that stuff that's attributed to Hun in an individual comes from an ocean, which comes from an ocean, which comes from an ocean, which comes from Tao. And that's not a causal thing, that's an ocean thing. Because in that context, the Big Bang is still banging. Like there's an origin spark, which is still an origin spark. It wasn't six, 14 billion years ago. It's what's moving through all of us as the primordial yang, mm. right? So this is the thing about the West and causality and reincarnation and causality. <clears throat> if it's a separate drop in the ocean that keeps coming in and out of uh, tangible existence, phenomenal existence, and then goes back to the ocean as that drop, I mean, that's interesting seems weirdly focused on the separation part though because if we're just a drop of the ocean in this incarnation and then we're going to go back to the ocean we have a choice do it dirty or do it clean what do you mean by dirty and clean uh turbid and clear like on one level the right. reincarnation like go back into the ocean clean or well why, why, why not leave the place better than you found it you know here we are at your airbnb you know i have a rule when i go to people's houses I just did this, this three-week tour across the province to see family and friends and meet new people. I just tried to make it a thing to always leave every place I stayed cleaner than, than I left it. And that, you could say, might be the only ethos of Taoist practice in a certain way, is put your soul back better than you found it. Yeah, I, I would Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. You know, because future generations are going to be dipping into that ocean to take a sip. So yes. why be a dick? <laughs> Make, yeah. make this a little bit less of a mess. Yeah, why well, add more paint? <laughs> right. You know, so this this is maybe the only, I mean, that's only, I mean, uh, I'm limited by the teachers I've had. I mean, there's obviously thousands of possible ways to look at this. But that that's the thing I would encourage people to interact with is put your soul back cleaner than you found it. If, 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 that's, if there's nothing else to do here, at least, you know, uh, aspire to that. So that, you know, your children or, you know, however this actually works causally, it's less messy than you found it. You know, and, but that's, that's again, we kind of got slightly sidetracked with the reincarnation part. But there are those other traditions where the and ending the wheel of suffering means you've escaped the wheel of reincarnation because you've purified yourself beyond the, the need to keep doing this. But again, that's the separate self. And there's a few Taoist traditions that are very much about that in the sense of immortality. Immortality means you don't have to keep coming back doing push-ups because you got the joke. Well, I, that's my way of saying it because I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian sense of humor. <laughs> so it's like, ha, 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 well, did you get the joke? <laughs> right? So um, that's a thing. But the way I was raised up in this stuff, the idea of immortality coming from a clinician's knee-deep in the mud you know, life is always messy. Just try and leave it cleaner than you found it. Um, the idea is what we would call wholehearted mortality. Like you're going to live and then you're going to die. 
Maybe you go back to the ocean as you, maybe you go back to the ocean as the ocean, maybe none of this exists anyway, this is all just a brain fart of some anxious, you know, you know, sentient being that makes up sentient beings for fun. Like, who knows? We don't need to know. But if we are going to experience, you know, several decades of mortality, maybe the immortality is to do it wholeheartedly. And this reflects sort of the indigenous uh, warriorship tradition that I'm a part of. And uh, I mean, part of my family is indigenous and I've spent some decades hanging out with elders and stuff to learn from that, which is as close to Taoism as anything else I've ever seen in, in, in my research. And in that tradition of warriorship is to die awake by living your dying. Right? So if you're awake to causality, you're awake to the vicissitudes of fate, you're awake to the fact you're only going to be here until you're not, you know, I don't know what's that, I'm trying to think about that funny way to say, you know, die gloriously and leave a beautiful corpse, you know, or whatever the funny way of saying it is, but to show up completely in this, viscerally, instinctually, intuitively, uh, emotionally, and intelligently, coherently as this, for this, and and that's the dance that's the immortality but to get there and actually not just talk as if you know you took some mushrooms and feel that way right now that's the nekong which prepares you for the netan which shows you who the who of this who really might be and then you're beyond the beyond beyond the profound beyond the mystery because you face the mystery enough to be cleansed by it all I was going to take a second just to like pause after some of those things because it's like a lot of this is it's very profound and not only is it profound it's also practical so it's like and this is why I fell in love with Qigong in in the beginning is like this is something that's very esoteric and on a level it's very like woo woo but on the exact same level it's not woo woo at all it's bridging the science with it so it's uh yeah, that's this is the real, the real deal. It seems to be effective at what it speaks to being effective at, and I think that that's whatever tradition uh, for you as the listener, you may be engaged in, uh, a formal student of, a teacher of, uh, an aspirant towards. Uh, if I was to offer anything from my, you know, small adventure so far, make sure that what you're relying on is reliable. And that includes who you're learning from, right? I mean, I'm just a goofy acupuncturist who's too shy to do stand-up comedy, but would really like to someday. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I happen to have learned some really weird things along the way which I'm in love with because they actually do what they say they're going to do. And the part of me that's, you know, got an ID card and, you know, has to get through life and has the aspiration of maybe having another family someday. I mean, my son's in his 20s, he's finishing university, but maybe I'll do family part two. I'm just 55. I mean, I'm probably going to live to 100. I don't know. Do I look 55? I feel pretty good, you know. (laughs) How's that Shaolin strength training going? (laughs) I'm feeling pretty perky. You know, so I guess I'm just saying, like, the mystery of my existence is is up for grabs to the mystery of what happens. And I guess the thing I'm trying to speak to is I feel 
and at 55, whatever grumpy that's supposed to be, playful, passionate, engaged, inspired, in love with everything and everyone in my life that I, I really get to engage with you, yourself, Robbie. I'm so glad we get to know each other the way that we do. Because why not show up with big glittery eyes of, holy cow, this is really going on. Like The fact that we can get mundanified and exhausted and burned out and cynical, and I've been those things too, like what a bummer yeah like that the fact that we have ways to come back to like come home to the the journey and the destination and the wow and the woohoo and the woo woo while we're here like yay yeah. yay <laughs> yeah and to like just like revel in the fact that we exist and we're here and yeah you know we can we can play mm -hmm. and and that's kind of a good way to wrap all this up is like the reason why like all these things exist is so like you know we can have our freedom back we cannot be uh bound by you know things that have happened in our past and traumatic events and things we probably never want to face but now we have the energy the resources the vitality the teachers to like you know go through those things and my experience from where i started to now is like wow like there's things that have you know troubled me for most of my life that you know i'm working through and unraveling and there's a lot more peace and i used to have autoimmune condition and that's a faint memory and like wow it's it's all real yeah <clears throat> yeah well being the real thing seems to be the point and kind of have to be the real thing to recognize the real thing and well you say or you said real recognize real <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, people sometimes say that, man, you're like the real thing. And I'm like, well, it takes the real thing to recognize the real thing. So welcome to the real thing. And if you're listening to this because you're interested in the real thing, well, you're the real thing. So welcome to the team. It's a team sport. You know, here, here's how you make these benches. This is how the breath work works. And, you know, the course starts in a couple of months if you want to learn all this stuff. Um, it's, you know, it's not rocket science, but it's also not a cakewalk. I mean, it's gong. It's the, you have to build capacity and, uh, you're the only one who can do that. So you can't get it from someone. I mean, you can learn how, but you have to do it. Yeah. That's been the beauty of a practice is like as much as there's the teacher and the practices and all the information and books and it's like every win that's happened has been me by myself somewhere either sitting or standing or uh, maybe even in some interaction but it's like you know I, I get to kind of carry all of that glory because all these like realizations have been they've been through my own experience mm -hmm. and then it's been cool even sharing that stuff because when when I speak from my experience uh, there's so much more potency in the depth and people really feel the authenticity of that. Yeah, well, I mean, this is something I, I this is a weird aside, but um, because I have the, an indigenous background and spent, you know, quite a long time with uh, uh, elders, medicine people, and over about a 10-year period was uh, raised up in the Sweat Lodge tradition to help out with those ceremonies and stuff. Um, and no, I don't sell those things, and no, you can't just show up and by native whatever none of that's for sale um but one thing that often comes up in in a sweat lodge specifically is to say uh or something i like to say in that context and i'm just going to take a moment and 
encourage the listener to frame this as something I'm sharing from an indigenous point of view, not just a Taoist, you know, alchemy, uh, Nekong thing. Um, hearts are like eggs. They break. Hearts are like eggs. They break, and they break open, just like the egg in an eagle's nest. And until your egg breaks open, you can't fly or be free or actually experience the world as itself. And in, in sweat lodges, when we're sitting in, and I mean, so I don't know if, if, the, if you, as a listener, hello, uh, if you've never been at sweat lodge, you know, you're, everything you've seen on TV is probably crap because they need a light on the inside of the lodge to be able to film the inside of the lodge. And inside the lodge, it's completely dark. I mean, there's some glowing rocks in there that people pour water on and it's 140 degrees. And the songs are not happy songs. The songs are songs we sing to express the pathos and somewhat the agony of life because we're calling on the maybe of the world, because in those traditions, there's no nouns. You can't have the great spirit. You know, there's there's nothing there in the sense of like the literal Western conception of life. So in those traditions, we're, we're singing out our emotional contortions of, of loss in the hopes that something in the world exists that might care enough to move the world in a direction that's in our favor. But that's as much as you can do is just sing really, really well and loud and hard. And remember that the more you try and protect yourself and hide and be separate and, and you know, disconnect from the chaos and beauty of life, the more you're averting to what it is to be a child. And that's okay. Like when we need to heal, we need to be in a cocoon. We need to take care. We need to be in a healing center or, you know, retreat or whatever. Just like in practice, we need you know, weeks alone to really do the work to kind of be the egg, be the oak and break free to be the eagle, to, to, to be the mind, you know, as, as itself. So there, there's a, there's a kind of, I guess, crossover with Taoist practice and indigenous practice, which really is, you know, very fractal, very regressive. You know, we're all things all at the same time. You know, you are refining Jing Chi and Shun at the same time. The idea that one leads to the other leads to the other is is sort of a modern dole out the medicine in small doses kind of thing so people can learn the practice in, in that way. But I think for a lot of people nowadays, because we have access to everything all at once, um, I guess I'm sort of bringing that up is that you know, the world goes through seasons seemingly for a reason over and over and over again. You know, the, the teachings, the five phases, yin, yang, whatever, you know, paradigm you're going to pick, they're cyclic, right? So no matter what's going on in practice in life, um, it's going to probably keep raveling and unraveling over and over and over again. So whatever happens that might break us open, you know, hearts are like eggs, they break. Spirits are like eggs, they break open. That might need to keep happening, you know, throughout decades and decades, inwards and outwards. You know, we open to our social self outwards, but we open to our sacred self inwards. And maybe you have to go back and forth as you mature and pendulum back and forth in different ways. Uh, so again, I guess I'm just sort of speaking to the, the Taoist and indigenous affirmation of cycles. And, and maybe as we finish this up, there is no finish line. The map is not to get you somewhere. It's to give you something to interact with. 
the landscape is the medicine. It's not the thing to get through or get over or get all get away from. You know, we're we're immersed in this event space, this this space time field of whatever's going on. Trust that that's 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 enough. That's as much as we need to know about this. Now feel into it and and please become as mature and authentic and whole as as this thing seems to conspire to help us become but you can't trick your way through it yeah i guess fake it till you make it doesn't work on this one well i mean fake it until you know what you're doing and and then realize you're not faking it but i mean that's that's like anything i mean i remember first time i was singing in a sweat lodge um and i'm gonna stop talking really soon but (laughs) (laughs) First time I was singing in a sweat lodge with one of the elders that said, <clears throat> sounds like you got a lot of power in there. And I was just so shy, just trying to learn to sing, right? So I'm like screaming my head off, but, ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then we had sat down, we were talking about it and, and, and I was like, is that good? And he says, well, I, I just want to bring up what power is, you know, medicine power is. And I'm like, okay. Cause you know, cause he was trying to get me to sing so I could eventually help out because, you know, maybe I was useful in some way uh, in that community or whatever. And um, I had asked, well, like, what, what, what is, what does that mean? Like to sing with medicine power? He says, well, you have two choices. You can have power over whatever you're singing about, or you can have power for what's needed in the world. Right. So when you fake it till you make it, you're kind of having immature power over what it is you're trying to get through. But eventually that actually works. You build momentum, you build confidence, same with Neigong, same with breathwork, Qigong, everything else. You know, you're, you're, you're learning until you're building momentum and then you're, you know, building foundation. And then when you're singing in a sweat lodge or breathing in your meditation or, I don't know, shaving your face when you're getting ready for work or whatever it is that just popped into my head sorry <laughs> um whatever the procedural part is if you're doing it for the benefit of all now you're doing what people have been doing since non-separation and separation because again Nekong, the character ne kind of implies the boundary between separation and non-separation and that until you have the awareness of what's outside and what's inside you can't make what's outside inside. You can't have non-separation until you've really gutted through the pain of separation. So that's, I think, if, uh, I mean, that's kind of where the conversation started. Maybe that's where it should end is ne really invites us to notice something. It's subtle. You can't see it from the outside, but it's also the membrane between the pain body and the authentic self. Beautiful. So, Mike, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, are interested in this Nagong course, what what are what are some ways that they can uh, uh, they can reach out and maybe get some more information? I'm sure there's going to be some notes that we can have throw some links on or something. Yeah, yeah. Usually, we put the links in the description for the podcast episodes. Uh, Soma Dao Qigong dot com. S O M A qigong.com uh, is the website for the Qigong school. Uh, there's the Soma Dao Qigong uh, on Facebook. So usually there's posts on that. 
feed. There's so much out Qigong on YouTube where you can go and do a, whole, know, a few hours of <coughs> different Qigong practices that are up there. Yeah, those are some really good ones. Yeah, they're kind of meant to be immersive, kind of like how-to week-long uh, little deep dives into that. I'm sure you practice. could spend some pretty good time on those ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's what they're up there for, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that should give people some breadcrumbs. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, we we are starting in November, uh, 2023. Six months, uh, full-on immersive negong training so uh if that's something you want to abandon your separateness to please join in <laughs> sign me up well i've already signed up so <laughs> uh already mike thank you so much uh it's an honor a privilege and a pleasure to to make this happen and i look forward to the next one right on thank you and uh for all of you who are listening uh Breathe deep, breathe into your belly, and shake your butt. Feels good. Thank you for exploring and enjoying Primordial Dao, Present Dao. We look forward to sharing more in the next episode. 